0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Artifacts. I'm your host, Marissa Wickens, and today's guest is visual artist and Ohio native, Natalie Lanise. Hello. Hi,
1: thanks for what having me. Going on?
0: <laughs> so, Natalie works with painting and collages and installations, and what really drew me to her work is just the use of color and I love geometric patterns and the shapes and one more thing that really stuck out to me was how your works created movement and I discovered your work through Instagram but then found out that you're from Ohio and that you did work in Toledo at the Prometica parking garage what you did there which mm-hmm. I was amazing. Thank you. So let's get started. So as a child what was like your first exposure to art? I grew up in Cleveland
1: And I think my earliest memories of art were trips to the museum there. My mom signed me up for classes at the Cleveland Museum of Art. And I distinctly remember attending those classes and some projects that I made in them that were in response to paintings in the Cleveland Museum's collection. So when I think back to like my first moments that I recall being interested in it, like that space and those paintings are like what really come to mind first. You know, I just knew I had an interest in it. In grade school, we didn't really have like a dedicated art class. I went to Catholic school and so we had like our homeroom teachers taught art, you know, like that kind of thing. So I think it's always like looking for more, you know, I like, I enjoyed those projects in that class, but I remember like teaching myself to draw from like copying Disney characters and like, you know, getting some how to draw books and things like that. And then by the time I went to high school, I attended a school that has like a really great art program and you actually had to apply to it. So I remember you know, around eighth grade or so, like knowing that I needed to like apply and be accepted to this program. And so I think I started taking it just a little more seriously then.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You pursued art in college. Is that correct? I did. What school did you go to? I attended
1: Xavier University in Cincinnati. I went there for both to study art and education. So when I finished college, I had a teaching license as well as a degree in art.
0: What was your main focus then in art at that time in college? Oh man,
1: like everything. Everything (laughs) Everything I learned, I loved. And I was kind of advised that like, since I was going to be teaching eventually, that it would be a good idea to learn a lot of different disciplines and um, processes. So I kind of I kind of took a little bit of everything. I focused in sculpture for a little while and then I, I actually ended up graduating with a concentration in art history. That's a long story but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, the long story short of it is that I you know I learned fibers, drawing, painting, sculpture, ceramics you know all like just so many different processes printmaking, making like things that I like still enjoy to this day even though they're not you know necessarily the central thing I'm working on in the studio
0: so let's get to like what you are known for and what if I look your name up like this is what comes up like that those geometric shapes the colorful lines like how did you come to that point of creating those pieces. And then I want to be a working professional artist. It's hard, you know, in in the world (laughs) we're in today, but. It is.
1: Well, I mean, I think it happened pretty organically as far as, you know, my trajectory, which was to attend graduate school for painting after I finished college. I moved to New York City and studied at Pratt Institute and earned an MFA in painting and during those two years as a graduate student i was actually mostly making collages so but i was combining collage work with like a geometrically painted background and like painting these patterns and so for probably you know 6 or 7 or 8 years or so i was making both small scale and large scale Um, what I called like paint and collage installations where I would paint directly on the wall and then collage like photographic usually vintage images onto the painted ground and those pieces had like this pattern and like flatly applied color so that's kind of where that emerged and then I don't know around 10 years ago or so I like kind of took this leap to omit the you know the collage from the work and go completely abstract because like I was becoming more and more interested in how the pattern and color was working spatially and you know how it was kind of affecting you know perception of either a two-dimensional surface or a whole gallery so yeah I think my interest just kind of started to expand beyond that collage work and beyond Something being just two dimensional, to starting to experiment with like how um, how can color and pattern like change the way we interact with spaces, you know, architectural interiors, or you know, like you said, a parking garage, or you know, just spaces, especially that we don't anticipate encountering art or that kind of color,
0: (laughs) you know? Cool, because you often see art in a museum or an exhibition, and it's such a formal setting. What happens when you take art and put it in a public space? It makes it more accessible, I think, to different people, which I think is what I think about art should do. So I want to kind of touch on your work with installations. I think it's so cool. So in 2015, you did an installation called "Depthless Without You at the Akron Art Museum for the Nat Geo exhibition. So, what was that process like going from a canvas to like a whole room and like how long did it take you to to work on that whole room
1: that's a great question so that exhibition was a group show that invited artists who were either working or connected to northeast ohio who were working in abstract geometric geometric abstraction i should say because there's a rich history of that that comes out of, uh, you know, that region of Ohio. I was invited by the museum to paint a gallery, which was like a total dream come true. Still is, to be honest, it doesn't happen that often. (laughs) And they, they really gave me full autonomy over like, you know, making my work in that space, including painting the floors, which I didn't Expect usually, you know, there's some limitation on like what they'll let you put paint on. (laughs) Yeah. So I worked on designing that piece. I would guess, I mean, it was a little while ago now, but I think probably over the course of about six months or so that I was planning it. But by the time you know, the we got to installation, there were only two weeks to make the piece. And since it's site specific, all of the work is created. You know, in that two weeks, directly, like the the installation was painted directly on the walls and floors of the gallery. So we had a very ambitious timeline (laughs) (laughs) to fill about a 600 square foot gallery. But the museum was incredibly generous with assistants and their art handler staff and just gave me a lot of hands on deck to yeah. finish it in time. But the the really interesting thing about it was that that put me in a position as an artist that I hadn't really experienced before that. And that was like both being in charge of and like managing a whole team of people who had never made my work before. So you know teaching them certain techniques and like how i do things kind of just on the fly and then also making a lot of decisions like in front of a lot of people because i had sketches and and things but until like you really can't completely design the piece until you're standing in the space and like mm-hmm. see how it's all going to come together so i was in the process of making those final like compositional decisions with like an audience of people (laughs) no pressure so it was like very yeah I mean I was just used to you know dealing with those decisions in a um you know quiet you know isolated space
0: that's so (laughs) So cool with like installation like you're working with other people in a specific place whereas like if you're an individual artist you can make those decisions by yourself and no one's yeah. really accountable, I guess. It's just you, but that's interesting. Yeah.
1: So yeah, it was a it was a, you know a practice of vulnerability and you know letting people in on the process, which I'm I'm pretty open about, but I know a lot of artists who, you know, like to, you know, keep their processes and their techniques close. And so um anyway, it was a whole new experience and just a completely new way of working that was really really fun, I really enjoyed it.
0: So for that specific installation, what was the inspiration behind it? Was there any, I guess, deeper meaning or just that you wanted to create like an immersive experience? Yeah,
1: about a year uh, prior to making that piece, I, well, two things happened. I, as I mentioned before, I kind of abandoned collage as part of the finished piece. I just started completely painting um, and then I also learned about dazzle camouflage, which was something that I had not known about prior to that. And uh, I was just kind of one of those like mind blowing, you know, like discoveries, but it was a form of camouflage that was used primarily by the British Navy, but also the American Navy in world war one. And it was developed by a British painter. His theory was that if we if we paint like these sh- these mer- merchant ships that were like consistently being attacked by German u boats with like using formal techniques of painting, such as like high contrast pattern and perspective and, um, you know, line and shape and so forth. If we paint them in such a way that it's distracting and imperceptible enough to, you know, an enemy viewing it through a periscope that it would like we could avoid attack <laughs> and I was and like and the images are stunning like if you google it you'll just you're gonna love what you see but I was just so fascinated that like paint like all the things that I was thinking about with my own painting practice as far as you know, pattern and like how we perceive color and how two colors can vibrate next to one another. And, you know, all this, all this stuff I was exploring um, was put to like this practical use, <laughs> not just practical, but like, you know, like def- like actual def- like wartime defense was <laughs> like so wild. And also many of the ships were painted by women and yeah. they were referred to as camouflage, which I thought was very cool. So there were just all these like really wonderful overlaps with like, you know, what I was thinking about these really formal things like line and pattern and color and scale, you know. And so I was like, I started thinking like if I were to camouflage something in this manner, like what would it be? And so the year before that show, I, I camouflaged a gallery space, you know, by painting the walls and some objects situated in it you know, in this kind of way. And so this was sort of like the next iteration in that body of work. So instead of, you know, disrupting the way we perceive an object, it was like how, you know, let me disrupt the way we walk into an art gallery, a white, like what's traditionally like a white cube kind of space and just rethink how we experience painting. That's
0: that's, I've never heard of the the colony that you talked about that's so cool they use art like art can serve many purposes <laughs> yeah yeah i know it was a long-winded answer but no um, it's worth it. <laughs> well because then it led to like um another the parking garage then so you kind of did you kind of use that same idea because mm-hmm. it's called the dazzle colonnade and so yeah. can you talk about how you even got this gig of painting a parking garage was it your decision to do a parking garage or did they give you other building options, or how did that process go?
1: That was organized through the Arts Commission of Greater Toledo, and they have partnered with Prometica on a number of public art projects. I think, I mean, I don't know what's happening with it currently, especially post-pandemic, but for a few years there, like ProMedica was really hiring quite a few local artists to create artworks for not just the headquarters downtown but there are other hospital locations and the arts commission was kind of helping the process of like connecting Prometica to local artists and to you know people who they knew were in the community so that's that's pretty much how the project came to me and i didn't have a choice of location like that was what was presented to me However, I was very interested in painting a space like that for reasons that you brought up earlier, like, you know, especially living in Toledo and in a region of the country where like art, you know, art I think could be intimidating to a large part of the population. There's a lot of people who don't set foot in art museums or galleries, and that's that's the space to primarily experience fine art. You know, it became more and more central to my philosophy to, to make public art, just to make art that would be more accessible and put it places where everyone would see it, not just the people who go to the museum. So put, you know, painting a parking garage, which is like usually the most drab, you know, concrete, (laughs) dark you know, just not non-inviting space was really exciting to me. Just the opportunity to transform that sort of architecture and that sort of, you know, physical experience of walking through it. It was a thrill. It was really exciting.
0: Like, how do you set up, okay, maybe I want something over here in this part and then the lines over here and then I don't, I'm not, I'm not that visual. I'm not a visual artist, but Like, how does that process work for
1: you specifically? That's a great question.
0: Well, I usually go,
1: I usually do a site visit and take a lot of photos. Mm -hmm. And then I will bring those photos home and either look at them like on the computer or my iPad and start to layer over them sketches or like former paintings that I've made, like just to start to see how my work might like make sense on those surfaces and within those spaces. And then, you know, that's just kind of the beginning of the process. But from that, I'll develop more like complete sketches and a, a color palette and so forth. And I usually work through several iterations. I usually have to work closely and collaborate with the client. So in this case, like sharing those drawings with people at Prometica and the Arts Commission to kind of work through you know, final approvals, because that's always a part of the process with public art as well. But I never really have like a final, final drawing until I'm in the space. So as I mentioned with the Akron project, like I was making those decisions on site, I like to treat all of my work that way, because the scale of those patterns and the way that, you know, they, they confront a person standing in front of it. Is very different when you're standing in the space than if you're like looking at an iPad screen, you know, drawing. So I would go in the space with the drawings, but I'd bring a projector as a tool to like kind of quickly play around with like how big or small those um, shapes should be and, you know, make like make some specific decisions that would be suitable for the space. And then at that point, it's like, you know, it's, I'm trying to do things as quickly as possible. So I usually trace the design from the projection onto the wall with pencil. And then at that point, it's kind of a paint by number process because all the, like all the decisions have been made in the yep. sketch process at that point, so.
0: And how long did that one take you? What was your time frame? I think I painted
1: that in about six weeks altogether, but I had another full-time job at the time. (laughs) And that's always how these things work. Like you never get to do them when you have like plenty of time. So I was mostly working on that project like in evenings and weekends. (laughs) So, So it was, it was dragged out over, um, over several weeks, but it was, yeah.
0: It was good. <laughs> it was great. I want to go in person now and see it. Cause I don't get to go down there that much. Yeah, definitely
1: go see it because, um, it's hard to document. So it's, it's situated along a walkway that connects like where the stairwells and elevators are to like the entrance of the garage. Mm-hmm. And so it was designed with in mind that people would be walking along it instead of like standing back and looking at it. Like, you would look at a painting on a wall mm-hmm. and I, I just want to plug it on your podcast because yes. nobody like no one knows it's there because yes. <laughs> it's like in the basement of a garage uh-huh. <laughs> so like I feel like there's very few people who know that it exists so it's free and it's there yes. and everyone could just walk in and see it so it I just want to say go see it <laughs>
0: So not only are you doing like installations in your own work, but you also worked for a little bit with the graphite design and build here in Toledo, which I didn't know. Someone at a coffee shop told me about their work. And, and so you helped with the, what's it called? The National History Museum at the, at the zoo,
1: mm-hmm.
0: painting some of the scenery. So what was that experience like? And now you're painting, not necessarily like your, what your style is, but you're painting, you know, scenery for museum,
1: yeah, yeah, that's a you know, it was an awesome experience. Doug and Jeremy, who own Graphite are two of my very good friends. And I had worked with them on some projects prior to that. And so when they approached me and asked if I wanted to, you know, kind of lead up the the painting portion of this museum project, it was just a no-brainer. Like, I, <laughs> I knew I wanted to work with them, and I knew it was a project that I would love to be a part of. I mean, they really did a stunning job on that museum, and every last detail of it was their vision, which I'm just eternally impressed by. It was an honor, too, to just, like, have a role in that. So, I was uh, essentially in charge of all of the two-dimensional painting for the project, which was I think 17 or 18 diorama backdrops yeah. that are mostly on the first floor, but there's a couple on the second floor of the museum. And I had a um, team of uh, four painters that we worked on everything. And it, I mean, it. to your point of like it being scenic painting as opposed to like my usual abstraction. I mean, you know, there were things that I knew were my strengths going into that project and and things that I knew that I needed to hire someone who was like really good at certain things that weren't my strengths. (laughs) So I'm still, I'm super proud that I pulled together like the people I did. Rose Wing and Liz Paget were with me uh, full time, and they are both just stunning realist painters. So everything you see in those paintings that is like a photorealistic bird or flower or rock or tree, like the, all of these stunning details was their work what I knew I was good at was large scale, you know, kind of like very physical gestural moves. So I painted most of the skies and the clouds and like Mm -hmm. kind of worked through a lot of this atmospheric stuff, which is still, you know, is abstract, but um, was very different than the way I paint. So, and then finally Jordan Buescher uh, joined us and helped with finishing quite a few of those as well. So we had a we had an all-female painting team amidst <laughs> a uh, very uh, male-dominated construction work site. So that was an interesting <laughs> experiment. But we I mean we knocked it out and you know that it, it was a collaboration with graphite too and like just trying to translate their vision and their sketches and like you know just through conversation and and you know, trial and error, essentially like making sure that what we were painting was what they envisioned for each of these exhibits. And the painting had to, you know, it's the way dioramas are structured, you know, you have to create this illusion that like what's dimensional in front, like keeps going or receding into these paintings and that the space is just infinite back there. So, um, you know, there were just like so many fun painting problems to work through. And we, you know, and it was on top of that, as usual, like a crazy ambitious timeline. So we were just like figuring all this out and painting our, you know, painting our butts off. And
0: <laughs> It looks great. I've, yeah. seen, I've seen that. And it does look so like lifelike and realistic, but also beautifying it, you know? yeah. 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 Thank so you. Cool.
1: Um, it was, that was a, that was a crazy cool project to be a part of. Yeah. It's one of my favorites.
0: <laughs> so right now shifting to like present, you are at a residence at was it the Vermont studio center. Yeah. Yeah. So what that's you right. you there? Talk about that. What is this like?
1: This is the fourth or fifth one that I've done now. And it's usually offered through an organization that, invites artists to spend time kind of away from their daily life and daily routines as an opportunity to just thoroughly focus on your work. And you're usually provided with a studio space and a place to stay, of course, and meals so that you know this kind of full focus can happen. And so um, I'm here, I've been here for about two and a half weeks and I'll be here for another week and a half, but I've just been painting like crazy. You know, uh, there's 20 20 artists here and writers um, all together. And we've, you know, gotten to know each other really well. And it's nice to be among other people who are also, there's quite a few painters in this group, which is great. Just so other people who are kind of speaking my language and, you know, working through some of the same challenges and celebrating you know this this work that we all do that's so different from the rest of the world so it's kind of we're like in this great you know idyllic art bubble. bubble
0: yep up here
1: art <laughs> <laughs> in Vermont and it's beautiful it's
0: <laughs> also that you get to be in that space and like you're just given the space to to, to do your work to do your art yeah. distractions or anything I think that's like the most fun and the most exciting things come out you know awesome. yeah and it's kind of
1: shocking like a few of us were talking the other morning about like how your work ethic shifts when you come to a place like this like because you've you know there's nowhere else you need to be there's no you know your usual errands and things like that are not you know part of your thoughts and so you just kind of shift into like this work mode that's so accelerated compared to (laughs) Mm The everyday life, you know, like I just I have so many paintings in the studio right now that I mean, if I was at home, I might produce this much in a, you know, in a year. So it's just this super concentrated, you know, time, which is great.
0: Well, through all your experiences and where you've created art, what advice would you give for emerging artists who want to do what you do or who want to create art for the public?
1: Hmm. Um, gosh, you know, one, one thing that I've been thinking of a lot lately, and this might have a lot to do with having, you know, come through the pandemic, but, um, is like resilience and how important it is for an artist. And that could mean a lot of things, but, you know, I think for young artists, like my students, you know, one thing I always tell them is like, you're gonna, if this is something you really want to do, you're going to do it. And it might not mean that you're doing it full time. You might have, you know, you might have a job, you might have two jobs, but you're gonna just keep doing it because it's a thing you have to do and you need to do. And eventually maybe you, you can quit one of those jobs and give it a little bit more time, you know, but like you, you just have to really tough it out and like if all you have in a day is two hours to devote to it, that's what you do, you know, and maybe eventually there's more time for it. I mean, resilience could refer to rejection, which also happens a lot. <laughs> you know? I mean, I feel <laughs> super lucky to be at this residency right now, but I, you know, I think I've been rejected from 30 of them, you know, or more, you know, so it's just, it becomes a, you know, a pretty, you know, daily experience that you just have to roll with and not let those things discourage you and get you down. And I mean, easier said than done. I feel discouraged all the time, but I have to (laughs) just got to like climb out of it and keep, you know, keep pushing forward. So, yeah, I think like if it's a thing you, you really need to do, you'll do it and, you know, believe in that and stick with that, you know, don't give up on it.
0: I hear a lot of artists lately when I interview them, it's like perseverance. Just enjoying yeah. and If it's something that you love, everything will fall into place. I always ask visual artists this. Do you think being an artist is like a natural talent or is it a skill that you have to keep practicing and hone in or is it a little bit of both?
1: I, I think there's some of both there. I do. I really do think that... And it, and it doesn't mean it's a natural talent for like drawing or, you know, any particular thing, like artists come in a lot of different forms. I mean, there's some people I'm, you know, I'm with here who are just presenting like the most beautiful concepts, you know, and, you know, my reaction is often with artists like that, like, how did you even think of that? And they're just brilliant people. So I think some of that is inherent, you know, if you, you have a way of seeing the world or processing what you've learned or kind of interpreting what's happening around you. I was small and was able to draw, you know, <laughs> and some kids who can do that and some who, who need a little more instruction, but I mean, I'm a teacher too. And I like to think I can teach people to draw. Like, yep. I really think that's possible, but you know, like anything, it's a it's a muscle, whether it's your brain or your, or your hands, or, you know, whatever your vehicle is for creating, like you need to keep working it. You need to keep exercising it and practicing it. And I think the more you devote to it, the better you get.
0: With all your work, is there like a certain feeling that you want to impart to viewers or is it subjective? What do you want viewers to take away from your, from your art? If you could give them one thing, you know,
1: that's a great question.
0: I do. I mean,
1: so I think abstraction could be pretty open-ended. And I think that's something I like about it because I'm not, I'm not like hitting someone over the head with like (laughs) what to think, you know, or what to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm letting them get like gather those things up for themselves. But I do think you know, color is really important to my work and the the way that I'm using certain colors, I think is kind of uncomfortable. And it, I think it sets up like a tension, or as you said, like early on, like a movement or a vibration that, that happens. That's like, I think it's a little unsettling. And I, like, I kind of hope that people get that, but it's like, I also use day glow colors that tend to just be really joyful. So like, even though there's like something that's dark or not right, like within the work that like it, it's kind of overcome by some, some joyfulness too. So that's vague enough, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: it's good. It's like life, you know, it's complex. So the art's complex. You can make it what you want. There's some, yeah. Yeah not just black and white it's a little gray <laughs> <laughs> all right I have some rapid fire questions but I love them so do you have any painting rituals
1: I listen to a lot of podcasts while I paint I, I guess that's a ritual and I'm pretty organized with my materials like I, I could be considered like kind of ritualistic in the way that I mm-hmm. like clean and set out my brushes and you know kind of set up the space mm-hmm. as I get to work okay. but yeah I think it's more like the rituals are mostly like the environment I'm setting up for myself to to paint in.
0: Mm-hmm. Favorite color to work with? Mm. <laughs> um,
1: right now it's ultramarine and it's a specific ultramarine blue it's um, by a maker called Flash. It's a French company. Um, I'm just really, I can't get enough of this color. Dayglow's Rocket Red is like a close runner-up. That's kind of been the winner for like the last decade or so. The <laughs>
0: <laughs> last decade, I love it. Favorite period in art history?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah. Yeah
0: take your time. It's with
1: really hard. I mean, especially I don't, there's just so many things I love, but um, I guess I'm, I'm most charged by like everything that's happened since the turn of the 20th century. I don't know if like, like uh, an entire like 120 years counts as like a period because it's, there's a lot of different things that happened in that time. Painting just turned a corner and never looked back and I, I've been, like, excited by, like, everything I've studied from cubism onward. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a broad answer
0: to your question. <laughs> okay. I'm asking a lot of hard ones. Um, favorite female artist, either past or present, whatever. Oh,
1: God. Oh. This is going to be one of those moments where, like, I can't, like, think, like, <laughs> They're all right there, and I can't think of a name, you know? God. Well, right now, I am, and I was very lucky to have taken a class with her earlier this summer. But Erica Renee, she's a contemporary painter. She's an abstract painter. She works with like interesting processes of like pouring and combining shellac with her paint and then kind of working back into like these sort of organic horde compositions and her palettes and the energy in her paintings and yeah and now like that I can you know now that I took a class with her like her instruction and her I don't know her whole demeanor like I'm so inspired by her so she's the she's the one who's on my mind right now
0: (laughs) but there are many oh yeah I took a class um an elective in college like women in art like a history woman in art class and like it's just crazy I didn't know all these like female artists back then and I'm like oh my god so now I have a book of like great women artists or just great artists there's so many out there that you just don't learn about in school everyone that book on their shelf yes (laughs) it's great it's I love it favorite museum that you've been to
1: Mm. wow there are many. Well, I am partial to the Cleveland Museum of Art because of it being a very special place throughout my life, and they they really have stunning collection. I just I love that that's the museum that's closest to where I live. But let's see, favorite. Oh, that's hard. I'm a museum person. I've been to a lot. And like not all my favorite museums are art museums. I just love museums. Here's a I'll just give you a weird one cuz maybe one of your listeners will feel adventurous someday. There's a place called the Museum of Jurassic Technology in Los Angeles that I don't like I don't even quite know how to describe it. So I just want to tell like anyone to look it up and go. There I mean it's just full of treasures. So that sounds cool. I oh like and it's a it's not like anything you've ever done or seen. <laughs> How did you even find out about it? You just I was living there for a summer several years ago and somebody, a friend of mine recommended it before I went, you know, I was yeah. looking for things to do in LA and asking recommendations. And a friend of mine was told me to go there. Yeah. <laughs> I
0: love it. That's so cool. I have to check that out now. When you're not busy painting, what do you like to do for yourself?
1: I love spending time outdoors. I'm a, I'm a runner and I have been for a long time. I also enjoy like paddleboarding and swimming and riding my bike and skiing. I I'm definitely an athletic person. And I love cooking. I think those are the things and like, I have a house now, so I've planted a garden and I'm oh, nice. like, I was talking to my mom yesterday and she was asking me if I was homesick and I was like a little bit, but I mostly <laughs> miss my garden. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know that about myself. That's like a new discovery that I like, you know, just really caring for this vegetable and flower garden oh, since nice. the spring and now I've left it for a few weeks and I'm like so I'm like kind of excited to get back home to it
0: <laughs> Oh my God. I don't have a green thumbs so props to you I just <laughs> well thank you so much for coming on I I had a blast I love learning about your journey and I'm excited to see what else you come up with especially after your little residency yeah thank you
1: so much Marissa this was really nice
0: so you can follow Natalie on Instagram or Twitter at Natalie Lanice or on her website, NatalieLanice.com. You can purchase her art too and check out what she's got going down there. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's been listening in and stay tuned for another episode next month.